outside. Jeff Smith, he didn't get there. Fumbles the football. Oklahoma takes over. What's up, everybody? Ryan Chapman's Dogecoin, or the stonks, are going up, which hopefully this podcast will go up in the next hour or so. Apologies right off the bat for the lateness of this one. Uh, quick things. Brady Trantham here. No Keegan Renault. He is at a wedding. He's not on assignment. He is at a wedding, so he has the night off. Ryan Chapman, who you've heard before, follow him on Twitter, everybody. Please do so. At Radio's Ryan. He covers Oklahoma with SI Sooners. He's uh, John Hoover's uh, acolyte at this moment. So if you like John Hoover, you'll like Ryan Chapman. And if you don't like John Hoover, we'll give Ryan a chance. Ryan hasn't pissed anybody off uh, on the OU coaching staff yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, so Ryan's here. We're not at Vanessa's house, obviously. Um, I was not feeling very well today. <laughs> and uh, Ryan and I are actually going to jump on the morning show from 6 to 10 on 107.7, the franchise, tomorrow morning, uh, Friday morning, I should say. So if you're listening to this in the morning of Friday, hey, turn the podcast off because we'll be on. You can listen to this anytime you want to. But we'll be on the radio from 6 to 10. So Ryan's going to spend the night. We're going to have some uh, pillow fights and uh, some pillow talk. Because uh, Ryan lives in Norman. The station's all the way up in damn near Edmond. So I was like, hey, just come on over. But yeah, so all that happened. Um, I also loaned my extra microphone to somebody. And I totally forgot about it. So we tried to record a podcast for like 15 minutes with two different microphones that don't work together very well. It was going to be a ton of editing. So I just said, screw it. We went to Big Truck Taco. Shout out. And uh, had some dinner, came back, and we're like, oh, let's start this over. So now we are here. But even though we're not at Vanessa House, please go give our friends at Vanessa House, 8th and Broadway, some good business. If you like good beer, I'm telling you, that's the place to go. Vegas Wedding Cerveza is the best beer in the state of Oklahoma. It's even better than uh, those colorful seltzers that you might have seen on the timelines. I- I've had some of those, by the way. They're pretty good. But uh, Vanessa House has everybody beat, so give them a shout also through the keyhole our patreon four dollars a month uh we're at 119 patrons and we'd love to get up to 120 125 in the next few days uh we do a lot of fun stuff on there articles film reviews podcasts and extra ou podcasts per week uh we have a lot of fun with it have a good little audience so we'd like to keep growing that and make some new friends and then one more thing before i get ryan on here as he just sits there right next to me waiting for his turn because like i said only one microphone today if you want to jump on the fan interviews, please reach out to me on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. I've got about four or five um, thus far scheduled. I've got a few already in the can. Uh, we're gonna be you're gonna be hearing next Monday uh, Ryan Chapman. You may know him from the station that I work at, 107.7 The Franchise. Your favorite producer's favorite producer. Talk to him for about an hour about his OU fandom. Oh, Ryan, do you have something? You talked to Matt Burton. You did not talk to me. Uh, okay. Well, no, you're Dylan Buckingham's favorite producer. Right. Well, you'd said that you talked to Ryan Chapman. You talked to Matt Burton for next Monday's podcast. That's true. I, 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 I look, I, I don't pretend to be good at what I do. I just, I grab a microphone and I just start talking. That's the whole point of it. But yes, if you're interested in talking about your OU fandom with me, like I said, please reach out to me on Twitter at Brady Does Sports and we can get something going. Seriously, if you want to be on a podcast, just let me know. Now, the podcast time oh boy it is may some gives who gives a shit 20th 
Not a lot of news, but you know what? We still have some things to talk about. Some things that, you know, Ryan, to be honest, they, they kind of, they got, they got me emotionally kind of, okay, let, let's do this. All right. It's, it's, it's not even summer. It's still technically spring and I'm already getting college football mad. So on today's docket, so Ryan had the, uh, the fun task of ranking the top 10 running backs in Oklahoma history. Of course, with like five or so honorable mentions because there's just too damn many like awesome running backs in this school's history. Uh, you had the uh, task of doing that, so we're going to get into that. Our friends over at the Crimson Cream Machine podcast, Kamyar Marabian, uh, Stephen Brown, they do a great job. They recently, on their most recent podcast, they had uh, somebody, uh, John Johnson, I believe, whoever runs Corn Nation, whatever their Bleacher Report, Nebraska Cornhusker shit is. I uh, had that gentleman on there, and oh my God, did he say things that just made me want to punch a wall. So we're going to get into some, like, screw Nebraska talk. And then one little comment that Bob Stoops made on Colin Cowherd's show last week. No, it wasn't the Go Baker thing. We'll get there when we get there. But Ryan, I'm going to hand you the mic. I'm done talking. Welcome to the show. It's been five minutes, and now you can talk. Brady, thank you. Uh, always happy to be along and yeah, it was uh, it was a really long week, and this was actually truly stressful. I, I know that we made a very fun video for all of your through the keyhole patrons, one of which keyholes, I am. Keyholes. Yeah, keyholers. Sorry, the the keyholers, one of which I am. So uh, if you can go through the comments and you can find someone intentionally trying to wind up Brady, props to you if you can figure out who I am. Uh, no, there will not be a prize at the end of that rainbow. But, uh, you know, it, it is the off season and it's list season. And uh, John Hoover and I, we're going through, we're doing every position, top 10 Sooners. Uh, John did the offensive line two weeks ago. I did the defensive line last week. But uh, I've been working all week on this running back list because this is one of those things that it's Oklahoma football and it's the running back position. This is not something you take lightly. This is not something you want to screw up, anything like that. So uh, I was able to put together, like you said, it's a 15-man list, a top 10 with five honorable mentions. Peeling the curtain back, John and I, we really had a battle between two guys of who we wanted to put at 10. And he's like, well, let's just do a top 11 list. And I was like, John, we're not doing a top 11 list. The name of the article is Top 10 Sooners. So let's do a top 10 list and I'll just throw some honorable mentions on there. So I know there were a few names, depending on what order they were in, that you weren't happy with. There were a few that you were happy with. Uh, did you have a, a spot in mind where you wanted to start? Well, I mean, let's start with the uh, honorable mentions here, just from the standpoint of I'm – I'm just at least happy, and I mean, Ryan, you're younger than I am. I, I get on to Keegan so much, both on the air and off the air, about just the history of the sport, especially the history of OU football. There's a lot to be proud of, and when you only care about, and I'm not saying that Keegan does or that anybody does, but when it seems like people only care about players or teams that played from the time that they were like 13 years old and everything that happened before that just doesn't matter. The game wasn't as sophisticated as it is then. So these guys are trash as a result. Like, okay, like you're missing the entire point here. So, I mean, on the honorable mentions, like you start off right off the bat, you got Prentice Scott, which of course, if anybody thinks that that, that name doesn't belong there, then you're just silly. Prentice Scott, the first African-American football player at the university of Oklahoma at a period, Ryan, where, I mean, schools around Oklahoma, both uh, locally and regionally, they didn't have black players on their rosters for almost another decade. 
And OU, for whatever reason, you know, like, I'm sure there are going to be some, like, if we, we actually dove into, like, the historical record of why Prentice Scott was able to get to OU, I mean, it wasn't just like he was welcomed with open arms. There was still a lot of adversity that he had to overcome, even even though he was a Oklahoma Sooner running back and a, and a great one at that. Um, at the end of the day, it was still a shining example of like, okay, there is some humanity and things are trending in the proper direction. Unfortunately, OU can just kind of count themselves as a school that wised up to things a little, little bit and a lot of bit sooner than some of their contemporaries. So that's great. You also have Clendon Thomas and Tommy McDonald on your honorable mentions. And then you get into like, we'll just get in, we'll get right into it. Cause Mike Gaddis, obviously like that, that's a great, it's a great honorable mention just because no one can deny the talent. And you look at the yards, you look at the stats, you look at the performances, but the injuries, like that's why he's on there. Marcus Dupree. And before I get into it, I'm going to let you just go ahead and state your reasons why, but they're the reasons that we all know. Yeah. So the big thing with how we did the list, the criteria is both college career and pro career. That'll be important when we talk about some of the guys later on down the list. That'll be important when we talk about number 10 and Mike Gaddis, because those were the two guys that we were trying to compare to, to figure out who should be 10, who should be left off the list, prompting the honorable mentions. Uh, that's very important for Marcus Dupree to be on this list, because when you talk about Oklahoma running backs, he has to be brought up in the conversation. Like it, it's obvious ESPN did the 30 for 30 labeled him the best that never was. We, we know what he was in his one season. He, he looked like Adrian Peterson, you know, 30 years, 40 years um, on beforehand. So it, it's just one of those things that he had to be on the list. Um, obviously, it's a lot easier for me to go back now and just watch his one season because it really was one season. It was really eight games. And uh, honestly, and it, it was dynamite. It was electric. And uh, it, me, like many others, I'm sure, um, are left just sitting going, what could have been, what could have been. And that's the story of why he's the honorable mention. Yeah, I mean, eight games of sheer brilliance. And I would say, like, the big impact – Marcus Debris had for Oklahoma. I think you can simply say this. The the act of being able to land a super recruit like a Marcus Dupree, like an Adrian Peterson, and then other schools have been able to, of course, land super recruits like I mean, John Elway back way back in the day is a super recruit example. I mean, guys like that that you're able to land and even even if they bust, and Marcus Dupree busted because he just simply quit. Like, yeah, there were some injuries and he was out of shape, but there was no doubt that when he was in just 80% half-ass shape, he was still the best player on the field. Um, but even if, like, the player absolutely busts, which can happen, if you're able to land a superstar recruit, it still holds water for, like, classes down the road, for years down the road, because, hey, you were able to sign X, Y, or Z when they were the best recruit in the country. So what does that say about your program? It's something that OU could hold on to for a long time and hell there's been an ESPN documentary made about him and the recruitment and there's been a book written about him uh bootleggers boy Barry Switzer's book goes into great detail about Marcus Dupree so it's a it's a gigantic chapter for someone who played eight games like you said and he was great in those games I mean it's a gigantic chapter in the story history of Oklahoma football but the problem I have <laughs> the problem I have is I don't like quitters and yes, Marcus Dupree is awesome when he was playing, but he quit. 
and I'm sorry. And like, yeah, like we've all moved on. He, uh, like the documentary was very sweet and I, I don't, I didn't want to actively see him like start shedding tears, uh, in terms of like, yeah, like I, I should have been on that national title team and I should have done this. Like, I'm not looking for that. Like time has moved on, but if you're talking to Brady, if, if Brady Trantham is 30 years old in 1984, 1983 and Marcus Dupree has just quit the team. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not his biggest fan. He also scared off Fred Sims who most listeners on this, of this podcast may not know who that is. Uh, but just, (laughs) I made a stupid fucking video, uh, two years ago about the 1981 Sun Bowl or the 82 Sun Bowl. I can't remember what year it was. Um, Fred Sims was the running back in that game. He was actually the second string running back because, oh, what was his name? Guy who got kicked off for cocaine. It wasn't Buster Rhymes. Oh, it surely wasn't Spencer Tillman. That is not Spencer Tillman. That's just a name. I think I, I cannot remember the name, but the starting running back got hurt. Fred Sims had like 200 and some odd yards in the second half. Oh, you beat Houston fairly handily as a result. Fred Sims left. He was a great running back. Barry Switzer tried his best to keep him. He left in large part because Marcus showed up. Like, yeah, I'm not going to get a lot of playing time because the super recruits here. So Marcus scared off talent who was already there, who were already there. He scared off some talent who were currently on the roster with him. Barry Switzer had to change the offense, and it took OU an extra year to kind of get the wishbone thing rolling, and they were still trying to trot out Troy Aikman, which was the right choice because Troy Aikman, we, we know how great Troy Aikman is. Then he gets hurt. Jamil Holloway comes out. OU eventually wins the national title in 1985. But just the decision-making of Marcus Dupree alone altered not just the season that he quit, but the season afterward. And I'm sorry, like, I I can't be 100% on board with that. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, like, on talent, sure, he belongs on any top list. Arnold will mention when you're talking about OU running backs. But, I mean, Joe Mixon can be on there for the exact same reasons, and he didn't quit the team. He and one could argue he had some very legitimate reasons to quit football or quit the team at OU. Um, I mean, you can there are a few running backs in the early '90s uh, after Mike Gaddis got hurt. So my, my my whole thing is is just like there was more bad that Marcus Dupree brought to the table in his time, not since. Like everything's okay now, we like him now, but at the time there was more bad that he brought to the table. Whereas players who simply flamed out because of injury. Well, that's nobody's fault. Like injuries are an an unfortunate part of the game. I'm not going to hold that against them. Yeah. And that's fair. I think that the Dupree conversation deserves that nuance. I think it's very easy to gloss over it as because we didn't get to see him play more than eight games because I didn't get to see him play any games. Uh, But, but uh, I think it's easy to just talk about how great he was but th- that's the beauty of him being an honorable mention because he was never in consideration to make the 10 for my list. And once we made the determination because of Mike Gaddis versus the guy that we're about to talk about, um, because we couldn't figure out which one we wanted to rank at 10 specifically, and we then said, well, we don't need to leave Gaddis off and did the honorable mentions, that's where Dupree comes in. Because if you're going to make a list of Oklahoma football running backs – and you're going to include honorable mentions if you don't mention Dupree. I just think you aren't painting the whole picture. Well, you could have made like a whole clickbait article, like graphic for it, like our top ten running backs with five honorable mentions, and Marcus Dupree isn't on it. Click here, subscribe, and like. 
we should have just put Dupree in the cover photo. Is what we should have done. Just a picture of him like looking down on the sideline or something. I'm sure those exist. No, but like, of course, like we kind of named all the honorable mentions. Top ten. We'll start off with number ten, Demon Parker, and I'm glad he's in a top ten. And I, I would assume a lot of listeners, if not all of our listeners of Inside O, you know who Demon Parker is, and also understand that he was. One of the few bright spots. There were actually a lot of bright spots. If you're talking about a bright spot, that implies that it's just one little tiny speck amongst a, sh- a sea of darkness. There was a lot of there were a lot of bright spots in those '90s OU teams. Like OU won a national title in large part because of a lot of those players from that were holdovers from the '90s. And we'll get to that. We'll get to a little bit of that a little bit later. Uh, like Kelly Gregg, for example. Uh, oh God, the. Uh, he was the defensive end who was like a first round pick for the New York Giants. He like holds the Cedric uh, Jones. Yeah, Cedric Jones. Cedric Jones, uh, Steven Alexander. There are a lot of bright spots, but Demond Parker is probably the crowning achievement of like OU football in the mid from the mid to late nineties. I mean, just from the sheer standpoint of his highlight reel, he's so fun to watch. And a lot of it to me is just kind of like those late 90s, early 2000s, like, high shoulder pads, especially the ones that running backs used to wear. Like, I think freshman Adrian Peterson looks so much cooler than 05, 06 AD because he has those big-ass shoulder pads, and he just looks more like a T-800 Terminator. Well, Devon had, like, those high, like, uh, shoulder pads, but he was a much different... He was a smaller running back than, like, an Adrian Peterson, so he was shiftier, and so it just... Everything kind of moving around on his body just made it so much cooler when he'd make a guy, like, miss. So I'm glad Devon Parker is there... And then we, we come down to, like, Quentin Griffin's number nine, well-deserved, DeMarco Murray, number eight. I think DeMarco, <laughs> if DeMarco isn't put on special teams by um, his uh, his coach, I think DeMarco's probably a little bit higher because DeMarco Murray freshman year before he uh, his, had his knee explode in Lubbock on an onside kick, was like Reggie Bush 2.0 with some power. And then afterwards, DeMarco kind of turned into your prototypical I-formation kind of Adrian Peterson clone, which was great because obviously he he still had a, a fabulous career at OU, had a great career in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. But like something was lost. Like the magic of DeMarco Murray was lost. And I just, I, I see him on the list. And I'm just like, man, this is like the one player that even... Even more than Marcus Dupree, those ill-timed injuries, because everyone's going to point to the Orange Bowl against Florida. If oh, you had DeMarco Murray, who knows what could have happened. But my gosh, like I was so excited for DeMarco Murray when he was in high school when I was a kid. Because I'm like, this is like the second coming of Reggie Bush. And because of injuries, he turned into a different style of back that just didn't exactly hit the peak that I thought he might hit. Yeah, and you can kind of see it though with the the stuff that he just did out of the backfield. Like I, I think of him um, as sort of a, a more complete Joe Mixon, if that makes sense. Just because I I don't think that Joe Mixon was as good between the tackles, uh, finding those spaces as Demarco was, and and unfortunately, um, you take Demarco and like you said, his athleticism just kind of gets knocked down just that little bit, that little bit more after the injuries. But uh yeah, I mean, I know it's easy to go to, but but in 2008 National Championship game like that that could have been a big um obviously changes the course of Oklahoma history, but it it really hurts or, or does it hurt his his legacy, I wonder, because 
if DeMarco plays, if Oklahoma still has bad play calling more than anything else, like bad play calling undid the Sooners in the red zone, um, you don't have that, you know, lore of what if DeMarco Murray played in that game. You have, okay, DeMarco Murray played in that game, he was misused, and Percy Harvin still ran wild on the Oklahoma defense. Like, I almost wonder if that's one of those one if, well, that's what makes what if so much fun. But uh, uh, I... I love DeMarco Murray. He's one of my favorite running backs ever to watch. And so um, it made it really hard to kind of place him on this list just because he did have a little bit more pro success than some of the modern Oklahoma running backs. But then when you look at like the next guy, Samaj P. Ryan, it's like, okay, Samaj P. Ryan's the all-time leading rusher at Oklahoma. So like, you know, that deserves a ton of respect no matter how hard he's found to stick in the NFL. And so like you, you bring up Samaj P. Ryan. Um <sighs> I love Pete Ryan. I think he's much better than what he gets billed as, um, as essentially just a, a power back that just played for a long time. Like he he for he didn't play his senior year. Like he went to the NFL draft, so he wasn't a product of being able to stay healthy for four or five years. Like he played as an eighteen-year-old freshman, true freshman, for a damn reason. He was so good. But I think. You can kind of make this argument for like against Samaj, like in terms of like when you're ranking him against like a Steve Owens or a Billy Sims, Demarco Murray, and all those guys. You can make an argument for him against him in that, just like you do with like some early air raid quarterbacks of like, well, they played in offenses where all they did was throw the ball, so like their yards and their overall their legacy is going to be a tad inflated. Samaj P. Ryan's like total yardage in large part is thanks to his freshman year because like what he, he rushed for 1600 or 1400 so 1600 he had 1600 yards his freshman year and then I think he still rushes for over a thousand yards in the following seasons but it's just like you know just over a thousand here uh, 1200 1100 here or there so his freshman year was just a byproduct of Josh Heupel just absolutely mailing it like uh, not mailing it in but just understanding that these quarterbacks just don't have it I or you know Josh Eipel, in my opinion, just didn't do a very good job of of developing the quarterback talent on the roster because I think there is a scenario or a world that exists where Trevor Knight can be a very good college quarterback, and there is a world where Blake Bell can be one. That doesn't mean that they have to throw the ball forty times a game, but that's what Heupel wanted to do or Bob wanted to do. Who knows? Uh, but it got to a point where Heupel was just like, "We're just going to ride Samaje." So. That's why the Kansas game happened. That's why the second half of that Texas Tech game in 2014 happened. Um, a lot of those examples of Samadji just getting all these carries and then all these yards. But at the end of the day, he was still good enough to get all of them. So to me, even if you're trying to make like that quarterback in an air raid argument, I feel like it's still hard to do that against a running back because you're still literally running into a brick wall. Yeah, and at the end of the day, um, like, like we've said, he is the all-time leading rusher at – the University of Oklahoma. So that deserves a whole heap of respect in itself. He also still stands as the single game leading rusher in college football history. So uh, to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, he, he's not going to vault himself into a top five despite having those exploits because you can make the argument that he was the second most talented running back on his own team. But it, it's just another one of those things where he deserves to be on this list. It, it just made it very hard to rate him um, because of the lack of NFL success and it's just difficult to weigh all of those things against him. But uh, I feel pretty comfortable with where he landed there at seven. 
So I don't even know what what the criteria is for this, but you have Greg Pruitt over a Heisman Trophy winner and Steve Owens. My goodness, I mean, where's where's Vessels at? I mean, you have Greg Pruitt in front of Steve Owens, but behind Billy Vessels. I'll just ask you, like, knowing full well that Greg Pruitt was awesome, but I'm I'm still I'm still curious. What was the uh, thought behind that? The thought behind that went into it of uh, weighing the pro career that Pruitt had a, a little bit higher, mainly because, in my opinion, Pruitt should have won a Heisman Trophy anyway. So uh, that was me putting a little bit of me into that, that I, I think Pruitt should have won the Heisman Trophy. I liked his pro career a little bit more, and he was just more explosive. Like that, That's nothing against Owens. Um, Owens was like the, the epitome of just a workhorse. If you knew exactly what you were going to get from him. Every single play was going to be 4.3 to 4.6 yards per play, and it was going to be glorious, and it was happening every time. So um, th- that's that was the really difficult part of the list for me was where to put Owens, Pruitt, Vessels, and uh, th- that's just where I fell on it. And I think like this entire list is just made all the more better for me because anytime this conversation comes up, it, like the list criteria basically falls under two categories. Are we talking about like what we saw, like slash legacy, slash career accomplishments, slash you know NFL pro accomplishments? Is it that type of list, which is what this one appears to be, or is it just the sheer talent? Because the sheer talent one is more like conversational when you're talking with your friends, talking with your family, especially like your older generational OU fans who will say Marcus Dupree was the best running back to ever step on to the field and wear the crimson and cream. It's like, okay, okay, like I I get what you're saying, but this list made all the more better because it could have been, it would have been so easy to say Billy Sims was the number one running back in OU history. And Billy Sims should have won two Heismans. Billy Sims is incredible. Billy Sims held the career rushing record for a long time until P Ryan was able to break it. And he, P Ryan barely broke it. So all that being said, like, and look, everybody, like, hopefully by now, you know, I am a history nerd and I, I don't just care about players and teams that played once I, you know, was a teenager, but Adrian Peterson is the best. He is the absolute best. He is a super recruit. He was everything that he was built to be plus more, he was ready for the NFL day one. He was the best player on the field in basically every game he played. He is still, I mean, at this point in his in his career, he's still good enough to rush for over 100 yards in an NFL game. That's, that's incredible. But uh, the fact that AD didn't win a Heisman, uh, that's, I can't even remember if 06 he was an All-American. I don't know if he was an All-American just because he missed those six or so games with the collarbone injury, but the injuries piled up on him in terms of they were a minor one and a major one, but he didn't have an ACL tear, but it was just the sheer amount of games that he missed kept him from like super career achievements that he was no doubt going to just leave in the dust. So like the, the biggest thing about AD to me is something like my dad would tell me, comparing AD to like Marcus Dupree. It was like the best thing that he could say between those two was if Marcus Dupree had Adrian Peterson's work ethic, because they basically have about the same physical gifts from God of like, they are super tall, super big. And yet they can still run like they're a five foot nine scat back. Like they can run four threes. It's incredible. But if AD or if Marcus Dupree had AD's work ethic, Marcus Dupree would have been the best football player of all time. So 
that to me speaks volumes about what Adrian Peterson actually is because there is the hype, there is the mystique around him, but there's also the pragmatic, like what we saw, and what we saw was was fucking badass. Yeah, and, and you know this, as I was tossing stuff back around with you and John Hoover, um, the, the first edition of this list did not have Adrian Peterson at one. And, and honestly, he was at three behind Joe Washington and Billy Sims. And I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit of me being gun shy of being the guy that is the, you know, the new kid on the block, the youth on the scene, putting Adrian Peterson at one being like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. But then, like, the more I go back and look at it, like, I don't need to watch Adrian Peterson highlights because they are all just emblazoned into my brain. Because as a youth, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is like the coolest human ever to be out there. Uh, on a football field. And then when you look at it, like you said, Brady, Billy Sims' record stood for a very long time. If Adrian Peterson was healthy all of, not both 2005 or 2006, either all of 2005 or all of 2006, he would have shattered it. 2006, if if he's healthy for 2006, he probably is at least, he probably wins the Heisman. Because I know that there was a, at that time there was a lot of hype for Troy Smith. Ohio State was undefeated, and that would have been somewhat hard to overcome considering OU had two losses already. But if they kept winning, they were going to be at least in the conversation to make a BCS game. Um, but it would have been very hard for voters to go, man, we should have gave him this award two years ago, and we didn't because he was 18. Because back then that was a faux pas to give you know kids the Heisman. Nowadays they just give it to freshmen, sophomores. Like it's like okay, you. You're the best freshman in the country. Here's the Heisman. Congratulations. Uh, but I could see a scenario where if AD's healthy and rushes for 17, 18, 1900 yards, like he was very, very much on the path to do so, if he doesn't get hurt against Iowa State, it would have been hard for voters to not vote for him, even with the Troy Smith Ohio State hype train. Like AD could have very well won his Heisman. But I mean, even all that said, like I, I agree with AD being one. Like if gun to my head, I would say AD number one even though people would just say, stupid millennial, you didn't watch Billy Sims. No, I've watched every Billy, Sim, Billy Sims game that is available on YouTube. And Billy Sims is incredible. But I, I just, it's just a force. Like when you're watching AD, you're watching like a force of nature. When you're watching Billy Sims, you're watching just a classic great running back. A classic great running back. AD is just a, he he wasn't a phenomenon because he, there's not a lot of flash with his running style. He just runs you over, or he just outruns you. He's just better than you is basically what his running style is. With Billy, there is there is kind of panache. There is like this whole kind of star power to him uh, with his speed, with his ability to make people miss in space. Uh, the afro, like the icon, the iconic afro. Just he's got a very cool image. Adrian just was like, I'm AD. And uh, you can't stop me. <laughs> and so to me, that's just that just adds to it. Like there was nothing really else other than you can't fucking stop me. Well, when Adrian Peterson runs, it looks like like things are about to start flying off his body because that's how like violent of a running motion. It looks like his shoulder pads are about to pop off. It looks like his helmet's about to pop off. And and we were just watching just you know uh, a few clips here and there uh, before we got on this podcast and. There, there's a, a a fun video that you put together at one point, and, and at one point, like you have linebackers and corners and safeties just plastering dudes, 
and perfectly fitting in the middle of that is Adrian Peterson just running people over because that's how violent of a runner he was that you could seamlessly put the highlights of Adrian Peterson truck sticking people just in between uh, the boss, just taking people's heads off. And you're just like, oh, yeah, those two things are similar enough that they deserve to be in the same YouTube video. Yeah, and it, it was just, look, I think I might have told this story before, but either like covering the Thunder, you know, in person for the last few years, uh, not necessarily this that much this year <laughs> for obvious reasons, but uh, covering the Thunder and, you know, being able to watch like Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Victor Oladipo, all those great players, and then not to mention the players that would come through Oklahoma City when they were playing the Thunder, like LeBron and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Blake Griffin, like a lot of great players in the NBA today, but great players that, that players that will be great long after they're done playing. Including that, with all the college football games I've seen in person, uh, OU games, the best individual like athletic performance that I've ever seen was Adrian Peterson in the fourth quarter against Oregon in 2006, the game where we got screwed. That was that was a game between two teams who were fairly evenly matched. One team started to pull away, and they started to pull away because Adrian Peterson got hot because he he's, a, he's all day. He runs all day, and the fourth quarter was Adrian Peterson's quarter. And Oregon's, Oregon's team was good. Like we, we throw them under the bus because they cheated to beat us and blah, 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 but that was still a good team. That defense was particularly good as well. And if people remember, Oregon had a running back by the name of Jonathan Stewart who was very good in his own right and played for a long time in the NFL as well. So it was AD versus Jonathan Stewart. AD was by far the better running back. But AD was going up against a fairly talented Oregon defense that had had some success against him pretty much in the first half. Third quarter started to kind of wear on them. Fourth quarter, they wanted nothing to do with him. And I think AD rushed for 145 yards and a touchdown in the in the fourth quarter. And it was just, he it was like everybody was running in sand and AD was gliding, just gliding down the sideline, running over people. Uh, we had that big fourth and one lined up in a tight eye formation, uh, like on the 35 or 30 yard line. And Stoops called to go for it. Paul Thompson lined up under center and he hands it off to AD right up like the, I think the right up the left a gap and <laughs> something happened with Oregon's defense. Cause they were in goal line stance and there was nobody there. There was a wide open hole. There was nobody at the th- second or third level and AD basically high stepped 20 yards into the end zone, which was coincidentally right where all the OU fans were like my dad and I were sitting on the 30 yard line. So we saw like him, we saw OU or Paul Thompson hand off the ball and we couldn't see it from our vantage point, but like all the people in red immediately stood up because they're looking at it like him running towards them. So they can see the hole and they can see that there's no one there. And so they just immediately stand up and start cheering. And AD just, like I said, starts high stepping. And that was like this, the cherry on top of what should have been a great non-conference road victory. Of course, we know how that ended up, but even with that, even with that, so Oregon gets the ball on the onside kick, blah, blah, blah. They, they get a, per, a pass interference off of a play where it shouldn't have counted because I think Clint Ingram or Rufus Alexander, CJ you touched the ball, so Rufus Alexander was allowed to hit the receiver. Blah, blah, blah. They score a touchdown to go up. Well, there's 20 or so seconds left, so there's not a lot you can do. Like, oh, shit, what do we do? And so Bob, even though I'm very critical that he put DeMarco Murray on special teams, this is a, this is a moment that calls for something like this. 
Bob said, all right, screw it. AD, go out there and go catch the football. (laughs) And Oregon kicked it off. AD caught it and then ran like 65 yards downfield and got OU into field goal range. And then Oregon jumped off sides and blocked the kick. But like that performance in that fourth quarter, I I don't know if anything will ever top it. And I I include Samaj AP Ryan against Kansas. I love that record. I love Samaj AP Ryan. But at the end of the day, that is against Kansas. Like, 80s fourth quarter against Oregon like that is chef's kiss and that is beautiful well and on top of all of that this is not hard-hitting analysis I'm sorry that you're not going to get that there was no more just epic iconic thing to see than Adrian Peterson high-stepping into the open field like once he knew he was in the open field and and was gone it it was awesome and he just had he had everything you talk about um, you know, the the iconic Gojo play against uh, Missouri in 75. Like, that's one of those things that Joe makes the cut in the hole, p- puts his right foot down, makes that cut to the left side, and everyone in the stadium knew he was done, he was gone. Adrian Peterson could run over people and then also have those moments, like that fourth quarter against Oregon, like against Oklahoma State when Jason White hands the ball off and just throws his two hands in the air saying touchdown because he knew that once Adrian saw the hole, like no one was going to touch him. He was going to burst through, and he was going to outrun every single person in the stadium to the end zone. So it, 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 it's something that we, we haven't seen, and it'll be another 40, 50 years before we see anything that compares to it. He's just uh, one of those once-in-a-lifetime talents that uh, we're lucky enough to have got to see play live. Here's my one question, because this is actually something very interesting to me, is just the longevity legacy of like a Joe Mixon or even a guy like Rodney Anderson. Because Rodney Anderson, like I think you and I had this conversation before when you were writing this list, I described to you Marcus Dupree's legacy as basically, imagine imagine if Rodney Anderson had what happened to him in 2017 where he, he basically lit the world on fire a game after the halfway point of the 2017 season from then until the Rose Bowl. And he was by far one of the better players on a offense with Baker Mayfield, Orlando Brown, Mark uh, Hollywood, CeeDee Lamb. He was one of the better players on that offense. And then just imagine that was it. Like he doesn't come back in 2018 and then have the opportunity to get hurt because he essentially played amazingly for eight games like Marcus Dupree did. But no one's ever going to put Rodney Anderson on any of these lists. But I think like talent-wise, he had it. He could catch out of the backfield. He was fast. He can run through the tackles. His career just got off onto a very late start because of some injuries that he had as a uh, younger classman. But Rodney, I, I think, in a game in a Rose Bowl with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, Rodney technically out outperformed them in terms of the yardage. He rushed for 200 yards in a playoff game. Who the fuck does that? And then Joe Mixon. No one can deny like Joe Mixon has like Adrian Peterson type talent and that it's freakish. And he can do things that normal, like, great football players just simply cannot do. But the there's an obvious big thing with Joe Mixon that we don't need to get into. We Like, Keegan and I have talked about that in the last few weeks, unfortunately, on Through the Keyhole. So, you know, once again, go to our Patreon page if you're interested in all that crap. But the other thing for Joe Mixon for me, and you've kind of alluded to it, was just like, I don't know about like running between the tackles if he's as good as he is, like, in space, blah, blah, blah. But to me... One big thing for him, his Texas performances are god-awful. And it just might have been a bad day at the office because Samaj P. Ryan in 2016 when Joe had a Joe had an awful game that day. He had two fumbles. 
I, th- I think he didn't lose any of them, but it, like he dropped a pass, didn't rush for anything to like write home about. But Samaje had like 240 in that game and two touchdowns. So the running game was working. It wasn't a case of Texas was stifling the run. Like Samaje was still getting stuff done. But like Joe's lack of big performances on big stages, because like he had he had big games against Oklahoma State. A lot of people that played at OU have big performances against Oklahoma State, but he still did it. He had a big performance against Texas Tech. I hate that fucking game. I hate that fucking game. I don't want to talk about that at all. But like to me, like Joe has the talent like a Marcus Dupree, like an Adrian Peterson, but him and Rodney Anderson not being on this list or even in an honorable mention, like was that something that you toyed around with or were you even kind of shocked like, wow, Rodney's not on this at all. He doesn't even sniff it. So uh, as far as I didn't have the conversation with John about Rodney. In my head, it went kind of like this. I'm a big Rodney Anderson fan. I'm a big fan of what he did. The only reason that Marcus Dupree is on the list is because he had um, Adrian Peterson-like talent, which is just a whole different stratosphere than than anybody else. And there's a lot of really great running backs on this list. And those two are in a whole different stratosphere of just pure talent the reason that Marcus Dupree is an honorable mention is because he didn't hang around and, and so for Rodney I love him um, he, he's one of my favorite running backs to watch but uh, one year was not enough in my opinion uh, to, to get the honorable mention now Joe Mixon that's a different scenario um, I was not as forgiving on Joe Mixon as I was on a guy that got injured because he put himself in the scenario where he was wiped away of, of some of his production. So, again, we don't need to get into all of that, but uh, that, that was one thing. And then the other was, yeah, on the on the biggest stage, Joe Mixon was not always his best. Did he play well against Auburn? Sure. Do you have the OSU games? Yeah, but those games in the grand scheme of things, did it, did it ensure that Oklahoma won Big 12 championships? Sure, but that is not the standard at Oklahoma. Winning a Big 12 championship is like the baseline of for a successful season, you need to win the Big 12 and go on and do bigger things. And Joe Mixon, as talented as he is, I, I think he's more talented than Samaj P. Ryan, but he had about half as much production, and he had a similar timeline to play in. So that was kind of the thing for me, is uh, that was going to be pretty much the cutoff, and because I decided to leave him off, that's where we got our 15 with the uh, honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Joe is you never really hear any OU fans, whether it's on Twitter, social media, message boards, whatever, he doesn't get the treatment that like a Quentin Griffin gets in that, oh, imagine if Quentin didn't have his his red shirt burned in 99. You know, meaning if, if DeMond Parker had come back for a senior year with Bob, like would that have meant anything like, oh, you might have won a game or two extra. They probably would have in the beginning of the year. They probably beat either Notre Dame or Texas that year because that team lost in large part because they couldn't sit on their lead. If they have DeMond Parker, they're sitting on that lead if not adding to it. So they might win a game or two extra in 1999, but the big point of that uh, player staying his senior year is that Q is a senior in 2003. And oh my goodness, the 2003 offense with Quentin fucking Griffin would have been unstoppable. Um, Not that the offense was the big reason why the season ended in the fashion that it did, but I can imagine if everything still happened the way that it did and you just put OU in a situation against LSU in 2003, but they have Quentin Griffin... Oh boy, that would be fun. That would be fun to watch. But Joe doesn't get that. He doesn't get that treatment of, imagine if he had come back, what would the 2017 offense had looked like? Because I think people were just like, the, I mean, the offense would have been, I guess, 
a little bit better, but Rodney was really good. And, uh, I mean, Abdul, Ad- Abdul Adams was really good at the beginning of the year. Uh, good enough, you know, whatever you want to consider it, but it was just Baker Mayfield's offense. So, so to me, like fans, not necessarily lamenting that he didn't come back and look, he, I'm sure that has a large part with the fact that he punched a woman and people just didn't really want him to come back. And in fact, I think wasn't that right around the time that the tape was actually made public was around the time that he, yeah. Cause it was during the sugar bowl against Auburn. So a lot probably played into his decision to basically go get paid now. But um, the fact that Sooner fans don't lament that, oh, Joe, if he would have come back, then you would have surely won the Rose Bowl and won the national title. That, to me, kind of also adds to the, he probably doesn't belong on an honorable mention list like this. Yeah, and I think that, especially like if you're looking at the Quentin Griffin scenario specifically, like adding Quentin Griffin to that team in 2003, I think can make a huge difference of how that game played out as far as what Jason White was dealing with that we have, has that ever been official? But whatever we, we've gathered since then, like adding any piece, any piece, the Oklahoma offense does not change the Rose Bowl because that wasn't the problem with the Rose Bowl. Uh, the problem with the Rose Bowl, of course, Brady was a squib kick. No, it, it was uh, obviously the defense and not being able to just simply line up. Uh, the the other thing is too, like Quentin Griffin is one of the most beloved figures in, in modern Oklahoma football history because of how the Joe Mixon tenure started Oklahoma. Like you said, that was never going to be something that happened. Like you mentioned that Tennessee game. I remember sitting in the upper deck with my father and um, basically dad. So dad was umpiring the week before. So that was the first time we had had to catch up um, to, for me to kind of be like, okay, here's what the offense looked like with Baker. Here's what Joe Mixon looked like, all this stuff. And, and an, an OU fan beside us, she had overheard us and she was like, yes, but should Joe Mixon even be playing right now? Like that is always the conversation that was going to surround him. So it's hard to really work your way into the hearts of, of a fan base when that's always the conversation around it. And so when you're not a fan favorite like that, and you don't have this hallmark performance that willed Oklahoma to a victory, like you're just not going to have that connection. Exactly. And again, Joe can probably belong on a list of like what I talked about earlier. Like, are we talking about like just sheer talent? then sure, Joe Mixon probably is one, two, or three. Like, you can make that argument, um, along with Marcus and Adrian Peterson. But overall, fun offseason list. But again, like I understand the thought that went into this. This was not a slideshow. This was not a, uh, I know these players because I grew up watching them. And then I Googled, like, the stats. Like, I, I know some thought went behind this. So that's, that's why I gave this list some time. Not just because you're here. I mean, if Keegan was here, I would have talked about this one. So, uh Good job to you, Ryan. And, you know, of course, once again, follow Ryan on Twitter at Radios Ryan. Uh, John Hoover, you probably already follow him, SI Sooners. They're doing a very good job of keeping you entertained uh, this offseason as well. So in addition to that, though, Ryan, I I don't know if you listen to the Crimson and Cream Machine podcast with Kamiar Moravi and Stephen Brown. Uh, I've been on there a few times. I was on, I think I was on it like two or three weeks ago. I can't remember, but... uh, Good friends of mine. I listen to their podcast, one of my favorite OU podcasts, of course. But they had Coronation Guy on there, the Nebraska Bleacher Report, like fan site, you know, whatever. And it's fun. It's fine. You can be a fan. Uh, I think his name is John Johnson. I could be incorrect. Um, I will at this person because I kind of want them to hear this. Uh, but the 
he comes off right off the bat very hostile, and it's like I get it. Like he's just like, no, I don't miss the Big Twelve, and oh, you you chose Texas over us, blah blah blah. So no, we don't miss you. It's like oh, okay, like all right, you're a fan, like that's your situation now. So you of course have to like kind of you know trumpet the company line. I get that, but Kamiar goes in and like ask him like. Does Nebraska at this point, you know, almost a decade into the Big Ten, do they regret the decision? Which can be fine to admit, yes. There are things that I admit that OU has done wrong over the year. I mean, hell, I, I have a podcast. So there are a lot of things that I've complained about about OU, and they've been very successful in the last decade. But that's the standard. Uh, but Kamir asked him that question, and this Nebraska fan Again, I don't want to say his name's John because I don't want I can't remember if that's his name. I don't want to call him by his wrong name or wrong name. But he he says, No, we don't regret it because we make so much money now. And now, Ryan, this is the point of the podcast where I admit I'm an OU fan because OU makes a lot of money. And USC fans are fans of USC because they make a lot of money. Texas fans are fans of Texas because they make a lot of money. So Basically, in the first two minutes, this Nebraska fan hates on OU for making the smart financial decision of aligning, quote-unquote, with Texas. They didn't necessarily align with Texas. They just aligned with, we want the Big 12 to remain. And sure, Texas, if they want to run it like in the boardroom, go right ahead, because they're not going to run it on the goddamn field (laughs) like we are. Uh, So whatever. So he hates on OU for making a sound financial decision and then justifies Nebraska's bullshit for the last decade as, oh, we make more money now. That like That's the thing. And I don't mean to pick on this person in particular. I don't mean to pick on this person in particular. But anytime some Nebraska fan has asked this question, and I, for some reason, heard a handful of Nebraska people answer this question, or media members that cover Nebraska, they always say the same thing. Yeah, they make a lot more money. So, yeah, it was, it was the right idea. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And the reason why, without getting like too much into the weeds of, of, the, of this weird scenario that I've had in my head to kind of further home this point, imagine a scenario, Ryan, where Oklahoma not only moves to a different conference, because no matter what, if OU moved to a different conference, there would be an adjustment period. It would be difficult. But imagine if they move to a different conference and then all of a sudden Texas just goes away like there's no such thing as texas anymore so now all oklahoma has to recruit from is the state of oklahoma and nationally they would have the same fucking problem nebraska has and it would be very hard to recruit players out of the south players from the west coast because oklahoma's not that fun anyway players from the east coast because oklahoma's not that fun anyway and you say you sit there and say brady you silly head oklahoma's doing that already right now well, they're doing that in large part because they get players from Texas, which helps them become successful, which makes them more appealing to West or East Coast players. You see how this cycle works? Why isn't Nebraska recruiting well enough to beat, you know, win some division titles in the Big Ten or win the Big Ten outright? Because slowly but surely, they're, they've lost their recruiting base down here in Big 12 country, and therefore they can't go after great quarterbacks. They can't go after great athletes on the West or the East coast there. And they're sure as hell not getting guys out of the South. And then they just find themselves in this situation where they realize, wow, we haven't been relevant. I'm 30 years old since I was 11. Hey, you make more money. So I guess that's what fandom's all about, right? 
Oh, of course, because uh, we all know that these institutions that people attend, uh, it because Brady, you had season tickets for how many years? What dividend did you get from Oklahoma in all those years of your season tickets? Oh, none, because that's not how any of this works. But all you have to do is look at, like, if you want to take Nebraska out of it, look at Missouri. Missouri moved to the SEC. So this is a team that, okay, Missouri should be able to recruit the hell out of the St. Louis area, which we know um, from just recent history here at Oklahoma, we know the St. Louis area can produce some big-time college football players. That's a, a institution that's closer to like Chicago than uh, what Oklahoma is. And you put them into the SEC, so you've got that logo on your chest. They should have only taken what they were doing at, toward the end of the time in their conference, making those Big 12 championship games, being ranked number one going into conference championship weekend where all they had to do was beat Oklahoma and you're playing for a national championship. They should have been able to parlay that to take it into all new heights, right? But you move Texas out of it and a place like Missouri, they're back to just the lull, which what is historically, you know, Missouri has a few great years and then goes back into that lull. Nebraska did the exact same thing. The problem is it's just a, we don't talk about the Missouri thing because they weren't Nebraska. You know what I mean? And, and it could be the first time since the Ivies and Minnesota fell out of blue bloodness, if that's what we're calling it. Because um, if Nebraska, look, they've brought in the chosen one, Scott Frost. He's come in, and his win percentage is worse in the first three years than Mike Riley's was, who they ran out of town because uh, you know they weren't even lifting on off days and thing like like it didn't just even resemble a, a Division One program under Riley. So it, it's in big danger, and this is a once proud rivalry between the Sooners and the Cornhuskers in which Nebraska was caught trying to run away from. They literally were trying to run away from it earlier this offseason because of the state of their program. And that's a terrible look. And if Oklahoma goes into this home and home, uh, I wonder if it could be a final nail in the coffin nationally, just because even though Ohio state does this in Nebraska every year, like it's Oklahoma and Nebraska, people are going to watch it because of those logos and because of what that game used to mean uh, to everyone when they were growing up on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. And I mean, going back to their days in the big 12, even like the whole, the whole concept that, well, Tom Osborne and Nebraska just didn't like that. The big 12 was just moving more towards like being Texas centric. Like the big 12 was going to be Texas centric because they make all the, money like of course they are but this is the the beautiful thing about this is it's a sport if you don't like how the suits do business we'll go out there and be a better football team and go kick their ass and brag about them to it because nothing hurts a suit's feelings more than when you're able to say hey my school beat the shit out of yours that's why they start cheating is like oh i'm not gonna let that guy do that again i'm gonna go pay this guy and then they get caught because they suck at cheating but Nebraska, like, just saying that it was purely from a philosophical distaste of, like, we were in the Big Eight, it was great, us in Oklahoma, and now it's going to be Texas, a Texas conference. It wasn't just that. Go look at their series record against Texas. They could never beat Texas. Whenever Nebraska had a good year or they were appearing to have a good year and they would play Texas, Texas would always beat them, even when Texas was not good. The first Big 12 championship, Texas was average I th- 96 it was the year OU beat them with John Blake in overtime like that Texas team won the big 12 title game against a very good Nebraska team Nebraska team like right in the middle of their like 90s run they couldn't beat Texas on the field so them just like 
using this justification of like, well, we, we don't like philosophy where the Big 12 is going and we want to make all this extra money. It's like, fine. If that's what you want to do now is just make money, then okay. You lose your blue blood status. And John in this podcast with Kamiar and Steven um, even brings up the whole concept of, well, people still talk about us because no one gives a crap about Iowa. No one gives a crap about Rutgers or Maryland, but they still talk about us. They talk about you like national people talk about Nebraska because this is going to be one of the first, if not the only instance in the modern era where a blue blood is actively losing their blue blood status. Clemson is not a blue blood. Miami, Florida State, Florida, they are not blue bloods, even though they've been very good for the most part since I've been alive. They are not blue bloods. Nebraska is. Nebraska, though, is starting to lose it. And it's in large part because not only did they think that they could move to a different conference and still be as successful as they were without changing some things or understanding that it's going to be difficult or just making some sounder decisions and not paying attention to Tom Osborne's old ass. Like, if you stay too loyal to your dead king, it can affect you negatively. But their just inability to understand what made them good, truly, is what did them in. And what made them great was their triple option attack, having big corn-fed white boys blocking for them on the offensive line from the state of Nebraska, being able to get great athletes from the coast, getting, getting great athletes from the state of Texas. Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to go into the state of Texas and say, hey, son, you want to come play football in Champaign, Illinois in November? You want to come play football in New Jersey? Hey, ma'am, do you want to try and go see your son play one, maybe two games a year? Like, I'm sorry. That's why if OU went to the, even if they went to the Big Ten, there would be an adjustment period. But as long as they're able to recruit the state of Texas, which they would be able to, because in this scenario, Texas does not magically disappear. They can still go into Texas households and tell kids and families, you can come watch your son play football five or six times a year because we are two, three hours away. Nebraska can't do that. That's a gigantic part of why they're turning into a program that might just be like Iowa, where they have a good year or two, and then they go back to being irrelevant, but they're never going to be 70s, 80s, 90s Nebraska. It's just unfortunate because... Um, like I, I've been in those OU Nebraska situations uh, in the stadium when the the rivalry maybe not the teams aren't great. Um, I, I'm thinking of 2009 specifically the the Landry Jones and Dominican Sue game in Lincoln. It like that wasn't a fun game because OU and Nebraska were ranked one and two, and this was dubbed uh, you know a, another uh, game of the century. Like that was just a fun game because it was OU, it was Nebraska. And it, and it wasn't just going to be a, a walkover. It wasn't going to be like it was in 2008 where the Sooners and the Huskers got off the bus, looked up at the clock, and it was 21-0 to five minutes into the game, and you're going, what the hell, I thought this was supposed to be fun. Uh, it, it, it's just a, unfortunate. I really hope, really, really hope um, that the atmosphere for OU Nebraska this year lasts longer than the first 10 minutes of the game because if it does um, and I'm not saying that it should be a close game on the field I, I just hope it does because those are some of my best memories are driving up to uh, go, go to Memorial Stadium to walk into the bathroom and go oh my gosh is this up to safety code because what the hell is going on here but uh, to, to be around the Nebraska fans and the OU fans and have that respect there which um, it, it's it, it'll be interesting to see what that atmosphere is like again so far on. 
Yeah, and look, I, I don't mean to pick on this particular person. The only reason why I'm picking on this whole conversation is because I've heard it in other forms and I've heard it from other people and I just don't understand it. Like, I hope OU, OU is going to be bad at some point. They're going to go through a cycle or they're not very good. It could be with Lincoln Riley for all we know, or it could be when Lincoln Riley leaves and the ability to replace not just Bob Stoops, but Lincoln Riley just becomes too much to overcome. And then OU is going to go through some bad years. Alabama will, Clemson will, Ohio State will. Like It is inevitable that the, that thing happens, but you have these built-in foundations of history not just the tradition that you hold by your accomplishments, but you have this built-in foundation of like recruiting inroads that Nebraska willingly walked away from, but they were too ignorant to understand that, oh, we can still get these types of players. No, you can't. Or we can just out-recruit or, you know, we can win some recruiting battles against Ohio State, Michigan. No, no you can't. No, you're now, you've, now you're trying to out-recruit over Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota and Penn state like that is the level of program that you are and can strive to be now. And that to me is just, you have lost blue blood status and it will continue to do so. And it will have a gigantic exclamation point on when OU beats the living crap out of you, uh, come September. And <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now all this is just a novelty, unfortunately. And the best, I, I told you this before we went on, Ryan, the best season Nebraska has had since 2000 is essentially OU's 2003 season. Like in 2001, Nebraska was number one in the country. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, they randomly got just destroyed by Colorado. And they got destroyed in their national title game. The only difference is, is OU didn't get destroyed in their national title game. They actually technically had a chance at the end. Boy, if they would have had Quentin Griffin. <laughs> and now we come full circle. So, like you said, it's sad. But the last thing I wanted to end with... Actually, I want you to like. I've talked enough. I want you to. I want you to uh, set the foundation for what we're about to talk about because we it, it was we hadn't watched this video. Like both of us were like, we just realized, oh, we haven't actually seen the entire interview. And then one comment set me off. Ah, uh, yes. So we're in apartment de Trantham, sitting down to watch the Baker Mayfield Colin Cowherd interview. We all of us have heard. Uh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. The, the Bob Stoops Colin Cowherd interview where. Bob said, go Baker at the end. And uh, it's one of those scenarios where, okay, we sit down and go, hey, we didn't actually see what this entire interview was about, like you said. Um, it, it, Bob's going through the car wash right now at Fox Sports as they kind of prep, uh, prep and prepare to, to f throw him into the fold and Urban Meyer's spot on the big noon kickoff, all that stuff. And uh, as the conversation just gets going and going and going, um, Bob Stoops says that uh, – when they won, or, or when he took over, that the cupboards were bare in Norman, which made my ears immediately perk up, and uh, I almost broke my neck in a whiplash looking over at Brady because I knew that uh, for as much as my ears stood up at that, Brady would take umbrage to the fact that Bob Stoops won a national championship in 2000 with a lot of players who predated Bob Stoops uh, in the Oklahoma program. So I, I turn over to you, Brady. Uh, I, I was not disappointed as Brady um, coming out of his stupor from not feeling very well. I actually think that was the spark that made Brady feel much better and much more normal uh, as the rest of the evening wore on. But uh, yeah, Brady, your thoughts on the cupboards being bare uh, for Bob Stoops when they took over. I'll start off by trying to give Bob the benefit of the doubt. If he was just kind of 
saying this without necessarily meaning it, I get it from this standpoint. The cupboard was bare when he walked onto campus and that the finances were not there, the facilities were not there, the the give a shit was not there because quite frankly, OU sat through essentially five bad years, but before that the, the end of the Gibbs era was fairly bad. But it it was nothing in comparison to what OU was about to experience with Schnellenberger and John Blake. So nearly a decade of bad football can do that. I I'd have no I would not be shocked if uh well, not necessarily because when Saban got to Alabama, Mike Shula was there and he had some success. He brought them to a Cotton Bowl in a 10-win year. So there was some success and there was some caring, I would assume. Uh, but I can understand the cupboard being bare, like as a statement, talking about the overall culture around the program. But Brady not wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I will speak in the third person on that one. I'll, I'll take the L on that one, Kamiar. Uh, but not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I just rolled through my mind when he said that. Ante Jones, JT Thatcher, Rocky Kalmus, Torrance Marshall. Oh boy. So many players. Well, I guess Torrance Marshall was a uh, he was a transfer, so I he can go Bob can kind of claim that. But really what I was thinking about was what players were highly influential on the 2000 team that were not there prior to Bob getting there? And I thought Heupel, Quentin Griffin, Derek Strait, Antoine Savage, Curtis Fagan, maybe they were freshmen. And that, and Torrance Marshall, and that's it. The, the depth and the rest of that roster were players that predated him. And I just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit here and say that Bob only won with John Blake's players. Like, I, I don't believe that because Bob was there to put the players in the right position and put them in the positions to succeed. And then they won a national title as a result. Bob didn't win a national title again, not because he couldn't win it with his own players. That's a stupid argument. Like there, are, there are reasons why they're all diverse and unique in their own situation. But I just, he said that and I was like, I just thought of Ante Jones just destroying Travis Minor in the Orange Bowl. And like, uh-uh, I'm not going to let that one fly. And again, there were a lot, like we said, with Damon Parker in the running back list, there were a lot of great players in the 90s that unfortunately just grew up and played. They were college football playing age in the 90s, and they went to OU. So I don't know. That was just a little off-putting to me. It was... um it was a little disappointing to hear from Bob considering that he should know Roy Williams, one of the best players to ever play football though. You, you know, you can make an argument like defensively. He is, he was there for Bob got there. Rocky Kalmus, one of the better linebackers in school history. Like, I'm sorry. That was just kind of a silly thing to say, but again, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was just, he was just talking about the culture. Yeah. And, uh, it was just uh, it was interesting, and uh, I thought the just the conversation was was interesting. I think Bob's going to be good at the big noon kickoff. I think that this is a scenario where you kind of get to see the the, the portion of the charm that came out back when recruiting wasn't just a twenty four seven every single day thing that that really ground on him later in the year. So, uh, but uh, it's always fun when there's some of those triggers that as soon as it happened, I just stopped what I was doing sat down my laptop and said, Brady, do you have any popcorn that you could pop for me real quick? Because I think you're about to curse blowed. Well, speaking of popcorn 
it's time for you and I to start winding on down because we got to wake up in like six, seven hours to go do the radio show with Todd Lisenby. So once again, if you're listening to this late Thursday night, early Friday morning, tune in from 6 to 10 because Ryan and I will be on 107.7 The Franchise on the morning show filling in for Eddie Rodosovich, who's doing bingo right now at the Jones Assembly, and he was just like, yeah, I'm going to party, so uh, not coming in to do the radio, so that's why Ryan and I are in. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining the show, man. And once again, it's at Radio's Ryan on Twitter. Follow him for OU, awesome OU coverage. You're kicking ass with OU softball. So follow Ryan once again on Twitter at Radio's Ryan. And real quick, if I could plug one other thing. Um, I said this on the radio. I'll say it on the radio tomorrow. Please, please, please. If you if you just read one story this week, allsooners.com, go to the football tab and scroll. It's not a story I wrote. It's a story that John Hoover wrote, and it's about Austin Box um, 10 years after his, his tragic passing and, and what the family has done picking up the pieces of an incredibly awful situation and, and trying to become, um, not trying to become, but being willing to become one of the faces of the, the opioid crisis, not just in Oklahoma, but uh, across the nation. They, they've been appointed to boards, medical boards. They testified in the big uh, court case against Johnson & Johnson, things like that. Um, it, I'm really proud to, to say that I work with John Hoover every single day exactly for stories like this. It, it's an incredible story. Uh, it's a powerful story, a really impactful story. So um, uh, I've tweeted out recently, so if you go to at Radio's Ryan, just scroll. It should be one of the the last things that I tweeted out, or allsooners.com, hit that football tab and scroll. It's uh, uh, 10 years after Austin Box, uh, Austin Box's tragic passing, um, you know, uh, his legacy meaning much more to Oklahoma, the, the headline, something like that. So uh, just my one thing. Go go read that. That would be my story. Yeah, with Austin, I'm, um, I don't claim to be from Enid. I was born there, so I've spent maybe two weeks and uh, an hour or so in in my entire life in the city of Enid. But when Austin was playing, I did feel like a little bit of pride of like, Oh, he's from Enid. That's where I was born. This guy's a badass. And I, I'll never forget like hearing that news just being like, cause I was 20, 21 when he passed away and just being shocked because, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, like I'm now 30 years old it's unfortunately not shock. I'm at the point in my life now, Ryan, where it's not shocking if I hear someone passed away too early because it's just starting to happen every so often. I mean, Sam Ellinger's brother passed away. Colt, uh, Colt Brennan, or what was his name? Brennan from Hawaii passed away. And it just, it, 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 it is weird. It is sad. But like I said, like once you get up into your 30s and I'm assuming once you get into your 40s, it becomes like, this is an unfortunate part of life that some people die way before their their time should have been. And Austin Box is an unfortunate example of that. And that picture of Bob looking at his helmet on the uh, fields during like fall camp in twenty what would that have been twenty eleven? That's sad, man. Like he was so good. He was go. He was about to be like probably an all all American type linebacker on the on those defenses because like those teams somewhat fell off in terms of they were national title hopefuls and they didn't quite get there. But the defenses on those on those teams were still very good. And Austin would have been a gigantic part of that. And the unfortunately the team lost a lot of losing out on Austin Box as a player. So um, yeah, definitely give that a read from John Hoover. Give everything John and Ryan do 
a read or a listen. I mean, you guys got the SI Sooners pod as well. I listened to that as well. You guys had a podcast out the other day. So in addition to this, through the keyhole, SI Sooners, uh, we always talk up our friends, West of Everest Lee and Grant Benson. I mean, we we did an entire segment on uh, Crimson Cream Machine, Kami Armoravi and Stephen Brown uh, in their recent show. I mean, between all that, we've everybody has you covered for your OU football coverage uh, this off season. So, uh, yeah, one more time, Ryan. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Short notice, appreciate you. Uh, shout out to our friends at Vanessa House. Even though uh, we were not there, they still take good, good, good care of us. And I've got a tiny little tease for something funny in the future. Uh, but I, I will be saying an extra thing in addition to some of these podcasts that I'm kind of excited to uh, start saying. Uh, it's good for the overall production and the livelihood of the show. So, like, you can put two and two together what that means. But, hey, motherfuckers got to eat. But, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Truly appreciate it. Once again, reach out to me on Twitter at Brady Does Sports if you'd like to jump on the fan interviews through the keyhole on Patreon. Uh, we have a lot of fun putting out awesome OU content there. $4 a month gets you most of it. $5 a month gets you all of it, plus Keegan's film reviews. So please give that a try, and we will do our best to entertain and inform. But for Ryan Chapman, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a good one.